So this morning's reading is Exodus chapter 14, verses 1 to 31. It's the whole chapter. And you can find it on page 71 in the Pew Bibles, the Church Bibles. So Exodus chapter 14 at verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and camp near Pi Haroth, between Migdol and the sea. They are to camp by the sea, directly opposite Baal Zephon. Pharaoh will think, the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites, who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Haroth, opposite Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. 
The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He made the wheels of their chariots come off so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks very much, Caroline. And just to add my welcome to everybody to this service. Uh, if we've never met, my name's Mark and I'm the vicar. We have reached the climax of the story of Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt. So today is the last one in our series. And depending on your age, you might be thinking about Charlton Heston or the Prince of Egypt. I won't ask you which. Uh, what does this great moment in the history of God and his people have to teach us now in 2022? Friends, we live in frightening times. Recently, we've seen women being killed as they go home from a night out. Young people being stabbed in their own neighborhoods, just one just a stone's throw away here in Camberley. War breaking out on the other side of Europe, affecting millions of people just like us. We are vulnerable. And we know that it's only a matter of time before the next terrible thing happens. And it would be easy to think that this story is about deliverance from suffering. You know, the Israelites cry out to God and he rescues them from the nasty Egyptians. But if you think that the Exodus is about deliverance from suffering, you've missed the point. When the Israelites cross the Red Sea, they are passing from one thing to another, from Egypt into the wilderness towards the Promised Land, from slavery to life with God. And this is the story of God's people. When we trust in Jesus, we pass from one thing to another, from death to life. Your own slavery is behind you. The question then is what now? And that's where we're going this morning. We're going to take a quick run through the story. Uh, we're going to think about God's people being saved and we're going to think what now? So the story then, it will help you if you've got this open in front of you. It's in the Magenta Bibles in your seats on page 71. You might have it on a phone. Uh, Exodus 14. 
it splits into four scenes. So scene one, verses one to four, God tells Moses exactly what's going to happen. So go and camp next to the Red Sea, says God. Pharaoh's going to come after you, but I'm going to get the glory by doing something amazing. God reassures Moses that he's in charge and he's going to do something big. It is a moment of crisis, but God is already at work and he knows everything that's going to happen. That's scene one. Scene two then, verses five through to nine. Pharaoh comes after the Israelites. Faced with the reality of the departure of the entire slave labor force of Egypt, Pharaoh changes his mind about letting them go. He takes all his chariots and he goes after them. Scene two. Scene three, uh, verses 10 to 18. The Israelites are scared, probably not very surprisingly. And they say to Moses, verse 11, look down. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us into the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Now, Moses hasn't always been the most patient man, but this is, he's had enough here. And the, the English doesn't really capture the, the anger in Moses' voice here. Verse 13, do not be afraid. Verse 14, the Lord will fight for you and you need only to keep still. And that last phrase, that the you need only to keep still, is two words in Hebrew, and it's much stronger than just keep still. It's like, you need only to shut up. I've had enough. Shut up. Trust God. What are you doing? And then scene four, verses 19 to 29, God parts the Red Sea. The Israelites go through on dry ground, the Egyptian chariots go in, they get into terrible trouble in the mud. If you've ever tried to ride a bike through the mud, you'll know the sort of trouble they're in. Uh, before, they can all escape, before they can escape, I hope this hasn't happened to you on your bike, the sea returns to normal, sweeping all of the Egyptian chariots away. And then we have a little epilogue, verses 30 and 31, because here's the point, verse 30. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. So that's where we're going. God's people are saved. Here's our big picture. There can be no mistaking that God saved his people. He told Moses exactly what he was going to do. He pushed Pharaoh into acting. We're told twice that Pharaoh's heart was hardened, that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And then he does an extraordinary, unforgettable thing by parting the Red Sea, and God's people are saved. God's people, the Israelites, pass out of slavery in Egypt and take the first step towards freedom under God in the Promised Land. And this is the same story for God's people today. So in John 5, 24, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. God's people today haven't taken a geographical journey out of slavery in Egypt through the Red Sea towards freedom in the Promised Land. No. By trusting Jesus, we've turned our backs on slavery to sin in our own lives and received eternal life in him. God's people are saved in an even more special way 
than the Israelites. Jesus took that journey from life to death to eternal life on the cross so that you can be delivered from the things which keep you in chains. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, criticism, addiction, unkindness, selfishness, pride, I don't know what it is for you. Jesus has rescued you from those things. But you don't always feel rescued, do you? Why is it that we all still struggle with those things? And this is the what now in our story. Because there are two ways you can read this story and two approaches you can take to faith. One way is to see it as God's people crying out to God to rescue him from a terrible situation. They cry out, God rescues them in an amazing and miraculous way. Hooray! So when you're in a mess, you can cry out to God and he'll rescue you. And you're already seeing some of the problems with that as a point of view. The other way is to see it as God taking his people from one place to another. Their situation changes forever. They are no longer under slavery in a foreign land. They are free to live under God. And do you see the difference in those two things? The first idea gives you a God who is basically there at your convenience. You know, who's going to help you out of a mess, like a sort of genie in a bottle, like Aladdin, you know. We're on cartoons this morning. We've had the Prince of Egypt, now we've got Aladdin. Whoops, I've messed up, but God's going to save me because that's his job. You know, the lifelong atheist uh, who's told that their plane is going down uh, puts their head between their legs and prays to God, don't they? Uh, God will save me. Uh, And then they're saved and they don't think about God again. Once you're rescued, you put God away, back in his magic lamp, just on the shelf, where you can reach for him the next time it's convenient for you. But if God has taken his people from one thing to another, then you have been changed. You've experienced deliverance, and it is not good enough to go back to living the way you did before. Think for a minute about the England football team. This may bring up all sorts of feelings in you. A few years ago, and actually probably for my whole life, the England football team has managed to fail to be the sum of their parts, haven't they? All the way through, a group of very starry players who somehow just couldn't get it together to actually score goals and win games. And then they they managed to get to a World Cup semi-final. And then, most recently, the final of the Euros, losing only on penalties in that last minute. And this winter, it's the World Cup. And will we just be content to go crashing out in the second round again? Well, we might not have a choice, might we? But we've got our expectations much higher, haven't we? For you as God's people, the journey you've taken from death to life needs to reach every single part of your life. Every interaction you have with another person can reflect the new life that you're living. Every dream that you have, every plan that you make for your future can be one with God at the center. You can be absolutely secure in the knowledge that whatever you do, 
Whatever goes wrong for you, whatever mess you make, God's got your back. He's forgiven you and he's put you back on a level place. And that, friends, is real security. Not knowing that when you walk into church, it's a safe place and there won't be a terrorist attack, but knowing that God's got your back. Not all the money that you've got invested, wherever you've got it, but knowing that God sees you standing before him naked and with nothing, and he loves you just as you are. Now, if that's a journey that you haven't yet taken this morning, can I encourage you to take it? And maybe today is a good day for you to take that journey from death into life and to pray and ask Jesus into your life. For those of you who've taken that journey, maybe you're still looking for your security in other things. Maybe there are still ways of thinking which belong to your old life and not to your new one. What can you hand back to Jesus to ask him to sort out today? You know, for those of you who've been shaken by the changes we're making to our children's and youth work here at St. Mary of Bethany, can you hand this back to Jesus and trust that he has the way forward? For those of you who are parents, can you trust Jesus with your children's lives knowing that he's got your back? No Christian leader is perfect. And I find this story of Moses, we've seen the story of Moses time and time again. He is a deeply flawed leader. We've seen in the story his troubled background, his lack of confidence, his timidity in the face of a skeptical people. As a Christian leader, I've made mistakes. There are lots of things that I've said and done which could have been better. But as we end this part of the story, we are pointed not to Moses, actually. And every time I've come to a passage in this, I feel like I've said, actually, this bit of the story isn't about Moses, it's about God. We're pointed not to Moses, the remarkable leader who's always got everything right. We are pointed to the Lord, his God, who was able to use what he had in amazing ways. And this particular leader finds that very encouraging. Because if you're faithful in doing what God is asking you to do, he will lead you in amazing ways, even when we face hard and painful choices on the journey. The Israelites were terrified. Ahead of them, the impassable Red Sea. And the the little bit with the words, which uh, Caroline did so brilliantly at the beginning, just tells you that, you know, God didn't just take the people to the edge of the Red Sea and cut them off. He doubled down. He sent them right onto a bit where there was absolutely no way out. Coming up fast behind them, the entire army of Egypt, the most fearsome fighting force of its day. And then God did such an amazing thing. One of these things, you know, sometimes um, scientists and writers try and find ways to explain the miracles in the Bible. No one has been able to come up with anything remotely explaining how the Red Sea could possibly open up and the people pass through on dry land. A story so remarkable that Muslims talk about it today. 
Christians, Jews, billions of people have it as the foundation point of their faith. God did an amazing thing and those people were saved, not because they were particularly special people, they weren't, not because they were people who always did the right thing, they certainly didn't, not actually because of anything to do with them, but because he loved them. So if the news recently has told us anything, it has told us that we live in an insecure world. You could lose your life on the way home, round the corner from your house. The world can feel unsafe in so many ways. So what now? A new life, a new approach to something that's holding you back in your life. In a minute, we're going to have a bit of time to pray. And I've got a little prayer that I've printed out here. Uh, we're going to do what we often do when we're having some ministry time in church. We're going to have a little bit of soft music and you can come to the back of church and someone would love to pray with you and just pray over you uh, this promise of God that every day you will know that Jesus has brought you from death to life and just praying over you the baptism promises, rejecting sin, the world and the devil and living in the freedom that Christ brings you. And you know, feel free if you want to stay in your seat and be praying. If God gives you a picture or something that you think might be for sharing, do come and talk to me or Sarah about that. I'm going to ask if you're uh, someone who has prayer ministry training or leads a group uh, and can pray with somebody, uh, then come up to the back with me and then come and join us when you feel like you want to pray with somebody. Let's pray.